Uh, Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 37. You can look into your bulletin, your Bible, or the screen above. Now hear the word of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easy, easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who, who then could be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come internal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God. I was trying to be all cool with this thing, but it's not going to work today. Give me one second. Uh, good morning, 1030 service. Um, I am uh, happy to be here uh, preaching the word of God. Um, as you guys know, the past three weeks, uh, Pastor Wanjay has been here. He's been preaching on a sermon series called Christian Living, where uh, he really teaches us some foundational stuff about how to fear God, and that's the source of where all Christian living comes from, but also some practical application. And I think that's been helpful for all of us. And uh, in the next three weeks after this week, uh, Pastor He's going to come. He's been preaching in Edgewater. He's going to be preaching here, and he's preaching something about questions Christians are afraid to ask or something like that. So um, they're going to switch. But um, I realized why they asked me to preach today is so that they don't have to preach six weeks in a row. So praise the Lord for your interns, Pastor Wanjay and Pastor Key, because you can just throw them in whenever you want. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 we at the staff, we always joke about how to, um, um, you know, who's going to preach and all that. But, I, I mean, I know that um, our staff really takes the 
preaching of the word of God very seriously, and, and we, we love it. I, so I, I really am so honored and so privileged to uh, be able to um, do that often. So let me just put this off. So, yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, just to introduce myself a little bit, um, <clears throat> my name is uh, Chris. I've been an intern pastor here for the past two years, um, but I've also been um, here since the launch. I've been a congregant since 2010. Um, so um, when New Mercy was launching, I was part of um, um, launching. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, right now I'm a 32-year-old person. Um, <laughs> I know I look a lot younger. I I remember at the retreat, some girl was like, "I think you're in middle school, right?" And I was I was like, I was pissed. I was like, I mean, I've heard college or you know mid twenties, and that's like kind of a you know that's a kind of a nice thing to say. But middle school, I was like, what? That's like Micah's age. That's like Lisa's kids, you know. So um, yeah, I'm 32 years old. Um, I've been uh, uh, some good news recently is that I've gotten engaged in the past two weeks. So yeah, thank you, praise the Lord for. for love and for relationships is, is good stuff. I mean, I'm really excited to start my uh, journey. It's uh, someone here at New Mercy at the 1 p.m. service. So, um, so that's been good. Yeah, that, God's been faithful in that area. Um, but just a little bit background about myself. Uh, before I entered seminary, before I um, uh, became an intern pastor here, um, after I graduated college in 2006 at Rutgers, I, um, I was a professional poker player. Um, that is, you know, the poker, the game, the cards. I was doing that for about 10 years, um, and I was pretty good at it, um, playing tournaments and casinos and online and things like that. Um, about three years ago, God gave me the call to go to seminary um, because I was going through all these, uh, to all these mission trips, like you see, you know, Cambodia trip and stuff like that at uh, Mercy Global. Um, and uh, God, he really showed me that missions was going to be a part of my future. And so I wanted to learn and, and know more about how we can be more effective in um, the Great Commission, in, especially in overseas, and how to become partners with them. So um, that was my journey, and that's been my journey. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, as I uh, have been, God has been molding me, and God has been shaping my calling, I think uh, this community has been a big part of how um, God has shown me what my destiny is, and so I'm very thankful for New Mercy um, but I think more than that, I think more than that, uh, God, through this process, he's, he's been refining a lot of my character. He's been re- really showing me things in my heart um, that have been blockages from me loving God fully. And I think this is what this uh, passage is going to be about today. Um, so yeah, before we begin, just can you uh, bow your heads with me and just pray with me. Uh, Lord, we just thank you, God, for who you are, as we have sung that you are a good, good father. And this is true, God. Um, We know because you have sent your son, Jesus, to die for us on that cross. And God, even when things are not good in our lives, God, uh, give us the strength and the faith to know, God, that you are good and that you are a God who loves us, Lord. Um, So Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come into this place and to fill your, your presence here, to convict our hearts and to lead us, God, into the way of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, as I was sharing, yeah, as I was sharing, um, man, so many difficulties today. It's like hot in here, right? You guys feel it? Is it hot? Is it Holy Spirit? Maybe it's a little bit of both, but all right, sorry. As I was sharing, um, you know, this process in seminary and refining my calling more than anything was God working on my heart. 
And my first semester of seminary, God placed an important um, passage to me in my heart. Um, and it was Psalm 139. Uh, this psalm is a psalm uh, that David writes to God, and it's about intimacy. It's about how God knows us so well. He knows the innermost parts of our hearts. He knows a word before we say it. He knows every hair on our head. We can't go anywhere from his presence. But at the end of the psalm, the point of the psalm is, David says, God, you know me so well. You know my heart so well. God, what offends you? What in my heart is offensive to you? Test my anxious thoughts, and God, leave me in the way everlasting. Correct my ways. Um, and the first semester, I really resonated with this passage, and I asked God, show me what's wrong. Show me what's wrong in my heart. Um, and just to let you guys know, if you guys ever make that prayer to God, he will be faithful and he will answer. God always shows people what is wrong with them if you ask them. All you got to do is ask. And so um, we see this today in this passage. Um, when we look at the rich young ruler, what do we know about him? What do we know about the rich young ruler? Well, first, we know he's rich, he's wealthy, he's young, and he has many possessions, and he has a lot of power. He has influence. But we also know that he was Jewish. We know this because uh, he approached Jesus and, and called him teacher. He called him rabbi. We also know that he has followed the commandments. So he has probably been going to temple as a young boy. Um, just to kind of relate it to today, it's probably as similar to um, many of us here who have been going to church uh, since um, early childhood. But then he asked Jesus, what can I do? What are some of the works that I can do to obtain eternal life? And so Jesus, he, he lists some of the commandments, and the rich young ruler is like, yeah, I've done them since I was a kid. But then Jesus drops the bomb on him. He, he does, he's not concerned about a, a list of things that he has done, but he's going after his heart. You know, when we look at this passage, a lot of times, you know, those who've been in the church for a long time, we see this and we say, oh, see, God wants every single Christian to be poor, and that's the way, that's the marker for us to know that we are following Jesus. But that's just simply not true. You know, when we look at the passage with the woman at the well, God was concerned with her eternal life as well. Um, it was a Samaritan woman, and she was going to draw water at noon, which is the hottest point of the day. And we know this because she was afraid. She was ashamed to be associated with the other town's people because she had many husbands. She was sleeping around, so she had a bad reputation. Jesus, knowing this, he offers her a drink of water and says, if you knew the living water that I was offering you, that this is eternal life that I'm offering you. But what does Jesus say to the, to the, uh, to the uh, Samaritan woman? He doesn't say, go and sell your possessions and come and follow me and accept this drink. He says, go and bring your husbands. Go and bring your five husbands. Because he knew the heart matter of the Samaritan woman. He knew that the, the heart issue of the Samaritan woman was to be loved and wanting to be loved by um, other people. So much so that she had five husbands. And so we see that in this passage with the rich young ruler, Jesus knows exactly what's going what's gonna to prick at his heart. And, and that is his possessions. That is his riches. That is his wealth. That's his power. And simply put, we recognize that this is an issue of covetousness. And that's also in the commandments. Do not covet your neighbor's donkey, or do not covet, covet your neighbor's house, your, their wife, you know, things like that. And the root issue is idolatry. This is what Jesus was getting. Jesus recognized that there was something greater that this man desired than Jesus himself, than God himself. And some of the symptoms that I've realized that idolatry um, produces is 
you become crushed when you don't get what you want. For example, if money is your idol, when things are not going right financially, you are crushed and you are, and you are displeased. Another symptom is that with idolatry is your joy and your peace, it's all circumstantial. Um, it's based on situation. And lastly, the, um, the main result of idol worship is discontentment. You're, you're not pleased as, unless you have that thing that you so desire, and it's more important than God. Uh, this season, like I said, God was revealing to me several idols in my heart, and I had no idea they were even there. You know, as I shared, I was, I've been a professional poker player for the last 10 years. I've always been able to make money. I mean, I never had tons of money, but it was never an issue. Um, I think idols uh, surface in your heart and in your life when the proverbial, you know, the ish hits the fan. When things go absolutely wrong, that's when it actually surfaces. When your relationships are on the brink of uh, breaking apart, you, re- you realize you have a rela- relational idol. When money is tapped out and you have nowhere to go, you realize that you've been depending on this idol your entire life. And so for me too, um, you know, I'm so happy to be, have been engaged and there's pictures on Facebook of me proposing and I'm all dressed up in a suit and you know, it looks all nice. But this past season has been an extremely testing and difficult time for me. You know, as you guys know, I mean, it takes money to get married. You know, there's a 1030 service. You guys know. You guys are way ahead of me. And so you guys know that having a family, having a wedding. I mean, in Bergen County, having a wedding minimum to $30,000. I mean, try to have a wedding for $20,000. Just, I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? So um, I was so frustrated at God. I'm like, God, I'm a lowly intern, you know? Like, first of all, my status is taken away from me. Like, I'm a 32-year-old intern. I'm living at my parents' house, and I don't even have a job. Like, what is, like, what is wrong with this situation? And I was so angry at God during this season. I was so discontent because of the season of my life. And so I believe that idolatry really does affect every single part of our lives. And like I said, the first and most important thing, the main thing idolatry does is it affects our love for God. It affects our relationship for God. Uh, Matt Chandler says this, if you have the quote. um, He says, um, when we value something more highly than we value God, we are forced in that moment to do two things. One is to suppress the truth of God, and the other is then to question the character of God. When you value something more than you value God, Regardless of what it is, you will simultaneously suppress God's truth and question God's character. And this is uh, Pastor Matt Chandler who says this. And this was so true in my life. When I wasn't getting what I wanted, I, I was confronted with one of two things. Because the idol was the most important thing, money and marriage was the most important thing, I was confronted to say, is God really good in this situation? Because he didn't provide. You know, as we sang, good, good father, he said, you are perfect in all of your ways. In that moment, he wasn't perfect to me. He wasn't because he didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't give me the money, the the job, and the the family, the marriage that I wanted. And so I remember remember wrestling with God. I remember in this past, like, six months, I, I was yelling at God. I was cursing at God. I was like, F you, God. Like, you Tell me that you are a good person, a good father. You say that you have the best interest of my heart. You say that you are, you love your sons and daughters and you provide all good things. But I was like, you, you don't, you don't. I mean, that's the truth. That's how I felt in that moment. And I was so upset. I was so angry. 
You know, it's funny because idol worship also affected my golf game, actually. No, seriously, it did. And I'll I'll tell you why. It affects every part of your life. You see, so a part of it was, um, you know, this summer, since I didn't have a job, you know, since I wasn't going to school, I was playing a lot of golf. It's part of my financial issues. And I think that is, uh, see, we need to have this sermon. We need to have wisdom as well and not just trust God also. We need, you know, so I was going out two, three times a week, and, you know, that, that adds up. But I had to get my mind off because I was so stressed. And so I was playing, and I was getting pretty good. This is my first year I was doing well. I was hitting in the, in the 90s, which is a pretty good score if you guys know. Um, but as you guys know who play golf, golf is a 95, 90% mental game. And so every time I would go up to the tee box and I would just hit a shot and it would just go shank it to the right or shank it to the left, because of this idol worship, I would blame God for my shot. I'd be like, God, you know, like, right now you can't even provide me for a job and my, 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 I'm trying to get married, you don't even do it, and now I can't even hit a freaking shot. What is wrong with you? And so I would just flip out. I would just I'd be like, blame me. And honestly, my game has not recovered. I'm just, like, terrible. I just, so God took that away from me because he, he revealed that. But also, more seriously, though, um, idol worship also affects every relationship that we have with people. Every single relationship, if, when, when there is idol worship, it affects our relationships with others. You know, John Piper goes as far as saying that all human relational problems, from marriage and family to friendship to neighbors to classmates to colleagues, all of them are rooted in various forms of idolatry. That is wanting things other than God in wrong ways. And I, and, I, and I just saw this to be true um, so much in my life. You know, I really feel that my calling here at New Mercy is to be on staff and to be, um, you know, invested in New Mercy. I've been here from the beginning. <clears throat> I never thought that I would be on, on a paid position on staff, and I always felt I wanted to be a voluntarily uh, be on staff so I can be, um, yeah, I can relate to the congregants, I can relate to the pastors, um, but I remember in this moment when I was struggling with idolatry, I was so bitter. And I would take things out on the wrong things, and on my, even on my staff. And I'm like, Pastor Key, I've been your intern for two years, and you won't even pay me now? And I'm like, wait a minute, that, that's not even my calling. That's not even my calling to be uh, a paid vocational minister. But all these bad thoughts were coming to me in my mind and in my heart. Not only that, because I was not engaged and I was not married yet, anytime I saw some of my friends get engaged and get married, it would cause bitterness in my heart. I couldn't be fully happy and, and fully loving on my brothers and sisters when they got engaged and married. And this is so true in our lives, isn't it? When we have jobs and we, we're trying to move up, and if, and if our status and our job is an idol in our life, when we see people who are um, not as qualified as us, who hasn't been working as hard as us, and they are able to rise the ranks, don't we hate on them? Don't we, don't we say, man, this guy doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. And I'm not saying that um, you shouldn't be upset with your situation or, you know, that you can't, there's no space to wrestle. But when that thing becomes the primary thing, you're going, to be continually discon- you're going to be continually discontent with your life. And as Paul says, that he has learned the secret to being content in all situations, whether he has a lot or little, you know, whether he's married or not married, whether he has a, a perfect family or not, whether he has riches or he's poor, he's able to be content in all situations because of Christ who gives him strength to do all things. And so I think that's the secret. We can't, when we, when we base our, um, our joy and our contentment on t- temporal, earthly things, those things get snatched up right away. It's, it, it's, it's temporary. 
The enemy has access to be able to destroy and kill those things. But when it comes to the eternal things of heaven, the enemy can't touch. And I think that is what the heart of the issue was today with the rich young man. When, when, when Jesus was offering this young man uh, eternal life, he wasn't just saying um, eternal life is going to be something when you die and you get to heaven. But we need to change our perspective and recognize that eternal life starts today. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. If Jesus offers you eternal life today, isn't today part of eternity? But, but so often we just function as heaven is something for the future. And salvation is something for the future. And so we're not able to operate in our salvation today, in our, in our eternity today. So the question is then, how do we break free from idolatry? How do we break free from these issues? And I think simply put, the easiest answer, like I said, is to, to put your eyes, fix your eyes on things above, on the eternal things of heaven. You know, Colossians 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I think our generation, we, we, don't, we don't care about the later. We care about the now. We're like, if... if if God can't affect my life now, then it doesn't matter. I don't want to sow into things of heaven today and get that payoff later. But I'm here to tell you guys that when we sow into the things of heaven today, we can access those treasures today, not just when we get to heaven. You know, when Jesus says, um, you know, the treasures in heaven will be there for you, he even says this today to the, to the rich young man. He says, um, he says when you uh, go in, sorry. Yeah, he says, when you sell your possessions, you will have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. Once you, have, once you sell your possession, come, and now you'll have treasure in heaven. And so in our minds, we think once we get to heaven, you know, once we have done righteousness, once we have, um, you know, loved God and loved our neighbors and, 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 you know, sown into things like the fruit of the Spirit, we think, okay, when we get to heaven, God is going to have a treasure box for us. And he goes, hey, good job, little buddy. Here you go. Here's your treasure. Now you can open it up and you can access it. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think when we sow into, into the things of eternal things and heavenly things, that we can access that today. That treasure box is, is fully accessed in our life today. And this is what I mean. You know, when I was going through all these issues of idolatry and God was uh, revealing these things to me, you know, like I said, I could only get angry. I could only be discontent. There was no joy, no peace in any of my situation. But now that I know and now that I have sown into the things of heaven and I've pursued after God in future situations where circumstances come up, and even now, even now in my situation, I, I haven't found the answer. I haven't found the job. I haven't found money. But God has given me joy and peace in a way that I haven't had before. My situation hasn't changed. My circumstances hasn't changed. But as I fixed my eyes on heaven, I'm able to access the things of heaven Things that the enemy cannot destroy. The enemy cannot come and take away my joy and my peace and my satisfaction in the love of God. He can't touch it. And that makes the enemy so angry. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I, I just, 
I just want to share that this, this is possible, that, that experiencing life with Christ and living and, and Jesus giving us life to the fullest is possible for us on earth today. It doesn't have, we don't have to wait until later. You know, these are just some of my experiences, but to be honest, yeah, I haven't experienced complete freedom and complete life in many areas of my life. You know, but this is what the text says, and I have to be um, true to the word. I have to preach the word, and this is what God says, and this is where my hope is. This is where our hope is. This is where what we trust in. And so when Jesus was telling the rich young man, once you sell your possessions, come, and you'll have treasure in heaven, he realized that the rich young man was a slave to money. He was a slave to his idols. He found his identity, he found his authority based on his status and what he possessed. But then what does Jesus do? Before Jesus says, um, sell your possession, look at what Jesus says. Look what it says in the text. Jesus says he looks at him lovingly. He doesn't look at him condescendingly. He doesn't look at him and say, you know, I see one thing you lack and, you know, you can't even do it. He looks at him lovingly. He looks at his creation lovingly and he says, you know, come and follow me. Sell your possessions, come and follow me. And what does that show? That shows God's compassion for us. He knows that these things are the things that are holding us back from experiencing full life. These are the things that are holding us back from receiving salvation. Salvation from ourselves, salvation from um, our idols. And so I think that's the key thing. If, if you see anything in this passage, I hope you see the eyes of God looking at you with compassion. Not because he, he wants what's bad for you. And I feel like for a lot of us, we have this bad theology about money and bad theology just about the character of God. And we think that when we follow God, we look at this passage and say, see, my life is going to suck. I'm going to have nothing and I'm going to suffer. Why would I want to follow this God? But that is just not true. Those of you who have children, God says, you know, how many of you, if, if your children ask you for bread, you're going to be like, no, nope, here's a stone. You know, and, and who, who here, if, you, if your child asks you for, for like, uh, you know, they're hungry, they want fish, and you're going to be like, nope, here's a snake. Gotcha. You know, like, it's not going to happen. And God says, you who are sinful, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more would I give to you, who is a good and perfect father? But we're so disgruntled because we're not getting what we want at the time we want. And I, I, I firmly believe God wants to give us good gifts. God wants to give us the things that we're longing for. But we also don't know what we're longing for. God wants, God knows the answer. He, he knows that giving him himself to us is the key. That's what he wants to give us more than anything else that we can ask for. And so, you know, as we reflect on this uh, message together, you know, one thing I hope is that, um, you know, that God has revealed some of these areas um, where you feel like I'm holding on to. But I, ho- I hope you realize that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of these things so that he can lead you into the way everlasting. He can w- lead you into eternal life. It's not to guilt you. It's not to shame you. Those are things from the enemy. Feelings of guilt and shame is always from the enemy. It's never from God. Holy Spirit convicts you so that he can give you life to the full and sanctify you. 
But what we see from this rich young man, what we can learn also is that the rich young man, he actually had a lot of humility. You know, he was rich, he had all these possessions, and he had a high status, but he came running to Jesus when he saw him. He came running, he shed all his dignity, and he, he, he went down to his knees at the feet of Jesus and said, and he realized, he realized there was something missing from his life. You know, who would do that? You know, if, if you had all those things and, you know, all the possessions, but he still knew there was something missing. Basically, he knew he was a broken man and there was something missing in his life. And the scary thing about this passage, the sobering thing about this passage is being broken and admitting you're broken is not enough for eternal life. It's not enough for salvation. And when we look here, because we're called to be the church for the broken, and we all recognize, and, and I know that people here and at our retreats and our, at our services, we're like, Jesus, we're broken. We're broken, just like the rich young man. But then when Jesus confronts us and he, he lovingly shows us the area of our hearts that are blocking us from following him, I feel like so many of us are just walking away. We're walking away sad, just like the rich young man. And so just at this time, I just want to just pray. Um, I just want to ask the praise team to come up and uh, just, yeah, reflect on this message. Reflect on just some of these areas where uh, God has been convicting us. You know, the liberating thing is, um, Peter, he asked then, I see all these idols, I see these things. But he says, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? But Jesus says, for man, things are impossible, but for, for God, all things are possible. And so we see it is possible. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us, and it is God who will lead us into eternal life. And so, guys, I just, I just want to um, pray with, with you. Um, I just want to ask, um, yeah, whatever God is convicting you today, um, and maybe, maybe you feel like there's nothing there. Maybe life is going well right now. And you're thinking, um, you know, I, I can't really see any idols in my life. You know, I, I'm glad that God has been faithful to you and he's blessed you. Um, but I pray that God, that you will ask God and you, you ask God, what is offensive to, to you in my life? What in my heart, what in my mind um, is offensive? And lead me into the way everlasting. And really, I, I just want you guys to be able to experience it for yourself, the freedom that Christ is offering. Because I'm beginning to taste it a little bit in my life now. It's so liberating. It's so awesome. And I'm becoming more and more in love with God because I see the design and I see his heart for me. And, I, and I'm just saying that that is possible. That experience is possible today on earth for you guys. The things that you're holding on to, the things that you struggle with so much, when Jesus is saying, come, let, let go of it and come and follow me, he's saying, I'm going to bless you way more than you could ever imagine. So yeah, let us, let's just take this time just to pray. Um, yeah, let's ask God to just uh, yeah, seal the things that he's been convicting us. Maybe he's been convicting you guys for a long time now. And let's, ask, let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and empower me, strengthen me. This is hard, but you say that what's impossible with man is possible for God. So God, I believe that you can strip this away. And I believe, God, that you can help me let this go. So let's ask God to just help you let that go today. Let's pray.
um, just want to read from John 6. Um, the disciples are gathered, and uh, Jesus has taught about him being the bread of life, and that whoever comes to him will never hunger again. And so this is what the disciple says. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples are grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And this is the part, this is the part which really gets me, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. Jesus says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Peter, Simon Peter, this is how he answers. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this resonates with my heart because it's like, when God asks me, do you want to leave too? God, where am I going to go? Where where am I going to, to my false idols that don't bring satisfaction, that I know have let me down time and time again? You have the eternal words of life. So let us follow you. So I pray, I pray for you guys in this congregation that we may be disciples, even if it's hard to swallow, even if it's hard to follow Christ, that we will have no other option because Christ is the one who will lead us to eternal life. Let's pray.